Well, you want to hear a really bad preacher joke? I, I don't know why I asked. I'm going to tell you anyway. I just thought it might be polite to ask if I could share this joke. Uh, our creative team does not want me to share this joke with you, and I probably shouldn't, but they work for me, and so I'm going to anyway. Uh, and and uh, you know, I could, I'm old enough to be most of their dads. And it kind of qualifies as a dad joke. My teenage daughter, I told this joke to her, and she just rolled her eyes at me. Uh, in fact, she told me after a first service that the joke is so stupid it might be funny. So there's, you know, hope for it there. Um, it does kind of relate to the sermon in a long roundabout kind of way, all right? So if you've heard this, don't stop me, <laughs> okay? Tom Brady, that's it. It's a joke. Just kidding. That's not it. That's not it. That's not it. No. Tom Brady and a preacher, Tom Brady and a preacher, a preacher, they die and go to heaven. Now, I know it's hard for some of us to believe that any patriot could go to heaven, but hang with me. It's a joke, okay? Tom Brady and a preacher, they both die and go to heaven. They're standing before the, the pearly gates, and St. Peter sees Tom and says, Tom Brady, the goat, the greatest of all time. Like, we've been watching you for, for quite some time up here. He looks up Tom's name in the big book and says, welcome to heaven. Here's a brand new Armani suit, keys to a Lamborghini, the location of, of a brand new 10,000 square foot, fully furnished mansion. If anything is not to your liking, please let us know and we'll take care of it. Next, he says, well, the preacher was next in line. He heard everything Tom got. Now he's excited thinking, well, what am I gonna get? I was a preacher on the planet. And so St. Peter looks up, the preacher's name in the big book and says, all right, here's the thing. We're letting you in. But all I got for you is a pair of coveralls, this skateboard to scoot around on, and a pup tent to find somewhere to live. Next, well, the preacher was like shocked. Like, wait, wait, don't you know what I did on the earth? I was a preacher. I told people about this place and what it took to get there, and, and, and if they believed in heaven and God, and what God expected of them as they were on their way there. Like, like I don't want to sound ungrateful, but how did Tom get all that stuff? He had everything he wanted while he was on the earth, and don't you know that like everybody couldn't stand that guy? And St. Peter says, oh, we, we know exactly how people feel about Tom, but he, here's the thing. When Tom Brady played football, lots of people prayed to God. When you preached, lots of people slept. If you're new here, my name's Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. I may not be for very long after telling jokes like that. But regardless of how you feel about Tom Brady or that joke, uh, I am so glad that all of you are here, whether you're in the auditorium or joining us on video somewhere. This is week number two of a sermon series we are in that will take us all the way up to Easter. The series is called Seven, and we're looking at the final seven statements of Jesus that were recorded from the cross. At first glance, it might appear that these statements are uh, not very meaningful, but as you look underneath the surface, we're going to see that they are incredibly powerful and incredibly profound. Last week, we looked at the words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. 
And we saw how they are an example to us, they are an encouragement to us, and those words of Christ are meant to be experienced by us. If you weren't able to be here last week because of the snowstorm or for whatever reason, uh, you can get caught up on all of our sermons and services online. Go to elementchurch.life and click the watch button at the very top of the page. Today, as the joke suggested, I wanna talk to us about heaven. The vast majority of Americans believe in heaven, by the way, 72% to be exact, believe in heaven. Of those people who believe in heaven, 82% believe they are going there. And of those who believe they are going to heaven, 84% believe that a good person can go to heaven, whether they believe in Jesus or not. It's a lot of people, right? Now, I know you might fall into any one of those categories today. You might be here today or you're joining us on, online and, and you don't believe in heaven, or maybe you do, but you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. And I'm thrilled that you are here. I hope that our discussion about heaven today will at least keep you awake. Uh, maybe it will help you kind of look deeper at your own belief in heaven and why you actually believe that. I hope this message causes all of us, believers, unbelievers alike, to reflect a bit deeper on heaven. As we're about to see, Jesus himself believed in heaven, and he taught that he was the only way to get to heaven. That alone should cause us to pause and reflect, at least ask the question that is our big question for today, what should I know about heaven? What should I know about heaven? Luke 23, 35 through 43 is our main scripture. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn there. Luke is the third book in the New Testament portion of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. We're looking at lots of different scriptures today. So if you want to use the screens to follow along, they will all be on there as well. And as always, if you don't own your own Bible, please don't leave without one. We'll get you one for free today out in the lobby. Just ask one of our volunteers for one, and we'll get you one free of charge. Today, we are picking up at the very next verse from where we left off last Sunday. This won't work out every week in the series that way because not all seven statements are recorded sequentially in any one of the gospel accounts. The gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. They are each eyewitness accounts to the life, ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. In, the, in the previous verses here in Luke that we're not going to read, we see that Jesus, the, the sinless, spotless Son of God, God in the flesh, was arrested for a crime he did not commit. He was beaten to within an inch of his life. A crown of thorns was thrust upon his head. He was then, with the help of a man named Simeon, required to carry his cross to a place called the Skull, where he was nailed to that cross, crucified for the sins of, of myself and for your sins as well. Two other men were crucified with him. They were both criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. As they were nailing him to the cross, last week we talked about how many scholars actually believe while the nails were being driven through his skin, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. If you missed last week, it was pretty powerful. I encourage you to get caught up if you, if you haven't. Uh, 
That brings us to, to this week, Luke 23, 35 through 43. I'm getting a little tickle in my throat here, so pray for my voice if you would. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. This was done in mockery, not in praise. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, the second of seven statements on the cross, I assure you, today, you will be with me in paradise. With death only a few hours away for both Jesus and this man, was there anything more meaningful, anything more comforting for this man to hear than those words? Because if Jesus was the Messiah, if he was the only way to heaven, and if death was imminent, what else would you want to hear from the Messiah other than the assurance of today, you'll be with me in paradise? The, the word translated paradise, by the way, from Greek into, into English, it, it literally means, literally translated, means a park, a garden, or a paradise. It was the word that was commonly used in this day by the Jewish people to describe the place you go after you die if you have faith in God. In fact, each time it was used in the New Testament, it was only used as a reference to where people go after death. So I think it's clear, okay, that Jesus here was not referring to seeing this guy on a swing set in the park later on that day right? He wasn't talking about taking up gardening with his new friend that he found in the final moments of life. No, he's talking about heaven. And in these few short words, I believe we are given a, a window into some realities about heaven that we need to understand. Now, please understand, we are not talking about every reality of heaven today. I think it will take us eternity itself to learn everything about heaven. So fitting that in 35 minutes just ain't gonna work, right? But in this statement, I think there are actually three words from this statement that we're gonna see from Jesus, three very important truths to know about heaven. We're gonna reread several times Luke 23, 43, I underlined the first word in it. It says this, and Jesus replied, I assure you, today, everyone say today. Today, today you will be with me in paradise. So the first thing we've got to know about heaven comes from that word today. Number one is this, it begins immediately. Heaven begins, I believe, immediately. Lots of people 
both Christian and non-Christian alike, especially when it comes to heaven. We want to know what happens when we die. Where do we go? Do we go to heaven? If we go to heaven, how soon do we go there? Well, Jesus seems to imply that heaven or some form of it begins immediately. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. The apostle Paul in the New Testament also seems to believe and teach this reality as well. Second Corinthians is one of those places, chapter five, verse one, and then jumping to verses six through eight, God through a man named Paul said this, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, he clarifies, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands, verse six. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Other versions say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That when we die, I believe, for those who believe, we immediately experience heaven. So from the teaching of Jesus, from the teaching of Paul, Really, through everything we see in the entire New Testament, it seems clear that heaven, or some form of it, begins immediately after death. Now, the reason I say some form of it is Scripture tells us that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth that are joined together for eternity with God and his people. So wherever and whatever heaven is now and wherever and whatever heaven will be one day, we can be confident that for those who believe when we die on that day, we will be with Jesus in paradise begins immediately, is the first thing we should know about heaven. Going back again to the statement of Christ, verse 43. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today, you, help me out and say you, you, you will be with me in paradise. Second thing we've got to know comes from that word you. Number two is this, it belongs to anybody. Heaven belongs to anybody. This is so huge. We're going to spend the largest portion of the sermon in this section here. To the condemned thief, Jesus offered salvation. To the condemned thief, he offered heaven. Now, we're not told, so we don't know what this man stole, but apparently his crimes were so heinous that he was crucified by the Roman government. Like this guy had to be one of the worst of the worst in Jerusalem. Yet Jesus, God in the flesh, said, today you, a convicted criminal, will be with me in heaven. Why? Because heaven belongs to anybody. Belongs to anybody. Notice I didn't say it belongs to everybody. And that's a big difference, by the way. Like, this is the gospel message. 
in, in one sentence from one scene in the story of Jesus, the entire gospel message is presented. That Jesus died to pay the price for our sins. He died so that we could be forgiven of our sins, receive a new life today, an eternal life forever in heaven with him. That forgiveness, that new life, that eternal life is available to everybody. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you have believed, this eternal life, heaven, it's, it's available to everybody but it belongs to anybody. And you might say, wait a minute, you're confusing me. Isn't that the same thing? Like, aren't we just talking semantics now? No, it's not the same thing. And it is a matter of eternity to know the difference. It's a matter of eternity. Eternity with Jesus or eternity without Jesus. Which, by the way, I had not planned on sharing this in my message, but for some reason the Lord in first service and now this one has led me to. I think the church has done a poor job, the big C, God's church, has done a a poor job teaching on hell. We, We have made hell all about pain and suffering and torture and flames. And that very well may be what hell is. But the worst part about hell is not pain or flames. The worst part about hell is the complete and utter absence of God himself. We do not understand that today. Even those who do not believe and reject God, God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. It may not be his full unveiled presence, but we do not know life without the presence of God, but one day there will be a separation and you'll either be with Jesus, with God for eternity, or in the utter seclusion of loneliness, darkness, and separation from God himself. That alone is enough beside the flames and pain, my friends. So it's a matter of eternity. Understanding available to everybody belongs to anybody. Jesus in John 14, six, taught this, he, he told them, his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father, I added the words, get to heaven, because that's what he's saying. No one can get to heaven except through who? Through me, Jesus said. Available to everybody, belongs to anybody. See the difference? John 3, 16, the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God loved the world so much, Jesus speaking, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. They will experience heaven. John 3, 36, a few verses later, Jesus still speaking. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. They receive heaven Whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. This is a matter of eternity. That heaven's available to everybody, but it's only experienced by anybody who believes in Christ. We we see this compare and contrast of belief and rejection from the two criminals on the cross. Going back to our main scripture, Luke 23, 39 through 42. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, 
So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Rejection. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? That's a statement of belief, by the way. He was, in essence, saying, this man crucified with us is God. Even when we've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. In some form here, it's repentance and confession. I sinned. I'm, I said what I deserve. But this man has not done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Right here in the story, we, we see one man reject Jesus as Savior, and the other expresses his belief in Jesus as God. He confessed that he indeed has sinned and was guilty of his sin, and in some way, he sought out forgiveness by saying to Jesus, remember me. He also acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah when he said, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. He was either expecting Jesus to rise from the dead as he said he would do, or at the very least return again someday and establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. Either way, in whatever limited understanding this thief had, he was acknowledging Jesus as his savior and Lord. In his very last words, the McLaren commentary said some, something that was just so profound to me. I'd never thought of this. Speaking here about the criminal's words said this. At that moment, the dying thief had a clearer faith in Christ's resurrection than any of his disciples had. All the disciples abandoned Jesus. They thought it was over. Their hopes were crumbling as they watched him hanging, unresisting, and gradually dying. But this man looked beyond their death and believed that, after it, he would come to reign. We may call him the only true disciple that Christ had in that moment. Wow. Hanging on a cross with another man hanging on on a cross, this criminal put his faith in the dying Savior. Wow. That's all awesome, but even beyond all that, like is there a greater place in all of the Bible that speaks or back, speaks to or backs up the Christian belief that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. Like this criminal could literally do nothing to earn God's grace. There were no good works left for him to do. He was hanging on a tree and yet Jesus freely offered him salvation and entrance into heaven. It's exactly what we read in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Available to everybody, but it only belongs to anybody who believes in Jesus. Now, 
Yes, it is clear from the teaching of Jesus and all of the teaching of the New Testament that for those of us, all of us in the room, who put our faith in him and we remain alive, like this criminal was dead in a few hours, that's not most of us. Like our faith is in him and now we remain alive. It's clear in the teaching of Jesus that we are now called to follow him in every area of our life. That no matter what that means, no matter where it takes us, and no matter the cost, we are now called by faith in him to follow him in every area of our life. But make no mistake about it, it's evidenced here on the cross. We do not change so we can be saved. God changes us before we are, God saves us before we are changed so that by the power of his Holy Spirit, he can change us into the image of his very son, Jesus. What should I know about heaven? It begins immediately. It belongs to anybody, like anybody. And then reading verse 43 again. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you'll be with who? Me in paradise. This one's subtle, but it might be the most profound. What should I know about heaven? From that word me, number three is this. The best part about heaven is Jesus. I thought I'd get a few more amens. Either you didn't say amen because you didn't hear me, or you didn't say amen because you're now you're disappointed. The best part about heaven is Jesus. We often get caught up on all the rewards of heaven, do we not? And believe me, there are gonna be some phenomenal rewards in heaven. No more sickness, no more disease, no more disability, no more death, no more sorrow or pain or hurting or weakness or mourning or suffering or struggling remains in heaven. For those of us who have loved ones who died believing in Jesus as their savior, for those of you who have children, infants, pre-born children, who died before having the chance to hear and receive and respond to the gospel of Jesus, we will be reunited with them in heaven. It's a glorious reunion of the saints of God. Those are all great things and there's more to heaven. And we'll experience all of them. But out of, out of all the greatest things, we could ever see or experience in heaven, none of them, none of them compare to the greatness of the fact that we will be with Jesus in all of his unveiled glory. We will be with him in perfect intimacy with God himself. In the book of Revelation, talking about the new heaven and the new earth, God, through the Apostle John, says this, Revelation 21, 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. 
and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Like in heaven, we won't ever get over the nearness of God. That if hell is the complete absence of God, then heaven is the complete fullness of God in all of his unveiled glory and his unexplainable trinity that we will experience for the first time ever the unfiltered fullness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus pointed to this day when he had his last supper with the disciples where he instituted what we now call communion. We're gonna end today with communion and worship. And as we do, I hope that we'll not only be reminded of what Jesus did for us, I hope today, church, I hope we're reminded of the expectation that one day we will sit together in the unfiltered, unveiled, glorious presence of Jesus. Mark 14, 22 through 25, on the night that Jesus was arrested, he sat down with his disciples for what would be their last supper together in that meal. He instituted a new covenant, a new way of shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sins. No longer would it be rams and, and sheep and goats slaughtered for our sins. He would be slaughtered for our sin. Mark 14, 22 through 25, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take it for this is my body. He took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank it. He said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That last phrase got me curious. I've never really looked into that. I'll drink it new in the kingdom. What's that mean? It didn't take long to do some digging to find out that Jesus was pointing to a future day when he would sit down with us in heaven for what is called the wedding feast of the Lamb. Revelation 19, seven through nine, again, talking about the new heaven and new earth, says this, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb. The lamb is Jesus and his bride, that's all those who believe God's church has prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Listen, you are invited to the wedding feast. I wish I could look at every face in the eye and say, you are, and you are, and you are, and you are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. That today, you, you are invited to actually have Jesus sit on the throne of your heart, which changes your life forever. And by faith in him, you can one day sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb. There's coming a day, church, when Jesus will eat a meal with us again. 
He will actually sit down with us. I can't fathom that. I'm gonna do my best to illustrate it, okay? I don't know any other way to do it. I'm gonna sit down here on the front of the platform. That one day, Jesus will actually sit down with us. And your loved ones who believed in Jesus and have died will be there. And your children who you lost before they had a chance to receive Jesus, they will be there. I'm gonna ask Jada, you come here, Jada. That's my daughter, Jada. This is the only way I know to illustrate it. Sit next to me. Like, in the same way that I'm actually sitting with my daughter, Jesus will sit with us. That blows me away. It blows me away. That the way I can touch her and hug her and hold her and feel her, and like there's no denying she is with me at the wedding feast of the Lamb, Jesus will sit with you. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Jada, you can go back. Thanks, sweetie. I want you to be there. I want you to be there at the wedding feast. And you only get there by faith in Jesus. So if you've never put your faith in Christ, you can do that right now. The band's coming out to get ready. We're gonna end with worship and communion. There's no greater time than communion to put your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. And if that's you, you've never put your faith in Christ as your forgiver, you can do so by just saying a prayer. It's a prayer of belief and confession and repentance, just like the thief on the cross. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. He is God in the flesh. He died in my place. He rose from the dead. He's coming again one day, and I want to be at the marriage feast. So I put my faith in you, Jesus. I believe in you. I confess all my sins to you. I deserve crucifixion, but you took it for me. So would you forgive me of all my sins? I repent of the way I have lived. I'm turning to follow you in a new way. Come into my heart. Be Savior and Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Just a moment. The band will sing. The elements will be passed down your row. You don't got to be a member of element to receive communion, but we do ask that be in a right relationship with Jesus. So if you need to do some soul searching, that would be a good time to do it. The bread represents his body given for us, the juice, his blood poured out for us. Church, I hope as we receive communion today, it's been so special for me, this message, this day so far. I hope as you receive communion, you won't just be reminded of his sacrifice. You'll be reminded of the hope that one day you'll sit with him at the wedding supper of the Lamb. God, we thank you. We thank you for the ability to, to sit in your 
veiled presence, which is enough. <laughs> I can't imagine your unveiled presence. Lord, right now I pray that you'd prepare this room for a celebration of the sacrifice you gave and the hope that we have in you to sit with you one day. Lord, I pray that you would be honored, that you'd be glorified, that you'd be lifted up, that as we sing about our living hope, that you'd be alive in this place, that as we sing about you as the great I am, that you'd fill up this place, God, with your presence. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. We love you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.